This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening today. Hello and welcome to Give and Tote Cannabis Conversations, the show that elevates the conversation about cannabis to a higher level. On today's show, we welcome Genaway Cavion, who is the founder of Calyx and Trichomes, a licensed cannabis retailer based in Kingston, Ontario. She is also the executive director of Normal Canada, the national organization for the reform of marijuana laws. After fighting for decades, there is finally legal cannabis in Canada, but there is still a lot of work to be done. Despite federal legalization, normal is still necessary to fight against negative stigmas against cannabis use, missing and incomplete information and research, bureaucracy, and to clean up the fallout of prohibition. With a decade and a half working with cannabis, Genoway possesses an encyclopedic knowledge of cannabis and has experience in both legacy and legal markets. Genoway's passion is converting others from the unregulated market over to the regulated market in which she and so many others fought hard to establish. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps us beat the algorithm because talking about cannabis kind of gets you in a little bit of trouble on some of these things. So if you can leave us a review, it really does help the show get to a wider audience. Also, if you have any suggestions for the show, like guests you think should come on, questions you want to ask, get in touch at giveandtoke at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at giveandtoke. But for now... Please enjoy my conversation with Genoway Cavion. So prior to cannabis, you worked at Blackberry in Waterloo, Ontario, back in the late 2000s. Have you seen the movie that came out late last year? Yes. Yeah, that was exactly like at the time, like it really depicted the time that I worked there, funny enough. So what did you think about the accuracy of the movie? Like I, I loved it. Glenn Howerton's a favorite actor. I love Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I'm sure there was some creative license taken, but you know, how was the accuracy of that film? Well, there's a few funny things. Like I was like a report of Mike Lazaridis. Like I was in the data side of it. I even have a patent with them too, which is funny. But it was all very accurate, I would say. It was, like, very accurate. And the vibe was very accurate. Like, I remember when they launched the Storm, like, I was on the beta team for the Storm. And I remember when they launched it, that was their touchscreen. Internally, it was called the iPhone killer. Like, they were so (laughs) sure it was going to be done. And... It was, it was very intense. Like my job was in a 24 hour, there was like a center where we all had to take turns working overnights in case things went down. It was called the knock and they referred to the knock in the movie a couple of times, like somebody called the knock, which was our office. And um, the part that was really like messing me up was that they would go into the knock, but that wasn't the right building. They were going into the a different building than what the knock actually was. So <laughs> the buildings were not right, but the content was. Ah, uh, yeah, a bit of creative license there, but it sounds like overall that it was pretty true to form. So that's good to hear. I mean, it's a it's a really great really movie, accurate. and I think there's probably you know I might be reaching here, but there's probably some parallels to be drawn about like the cannabis industry and BlackBerry of like you know not giving up when you think you're at the top, you know, you got to keep fighting, you got to keep trailblazing, you got to keep trying new ideas. So I think that will match our theme pretty well today. Yeah, that's another interesting thing about cannabis too, is that everybody in this industry comes from a different walk of life and has different 
you know, background, prior experience, prior to legalization, but like we were heavily involved, my husband and I, after we left Kitchener Waterloo, we moved to Kingston and uh, started a head shop and seed bank pre-legalization. So that was, we had a lot of, um, like in 2010, that was our, our other big job. So we were raided in 2017. And then the week after the Cannabis Act was announced. I remember reading the first draft of the Cannabis Act just the week after we were raided. And it felt daunting to me. It felt really like, oh, there are going to be, we're not going to be able to open up with seeds again. Like we have got to pivot. And in Ontario, it was a little bit different than BC. Like every province here is, is as you know, legislated a little bit differently. And BC is uh, very pro harm reduction, but the licensing and the way that they did their cannabis licensing was really weird and expensive and prohibitive for a lot of people. Alberta was was good and also very prohibitive. Like we wouldn't have been able to operate in Alberta because of our uh, seed charges. I mean, Saskatchewan and Manitoba, they have a fully different, some have a little bit of vertical integration, but like basically only a few companies were granted. And in Ontario at the time, uh, it was going to be public sale in the sort of archaic way uh, that Ontario does alcohol sales right now. Um, and they thought there was only going to be a need for four stores in the whole province, in the country's biggest province, uh, which is crazy. So we were vocally against that. And for a very, <laughs> for a very brief moment in time, uh, supportive of the Ford family um, of, of famous Rob Ford crack scandal yeah. fame. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the big guy <laughs> in the Toronto Maple Leafs jersey, he, he has made his way, that, that visual has made his way over the ocean here. It has? You yeah. guys, like, I mean, you had to have heard, like, yeah, yeah. It, it was it was crazy, but his brother had actually um, a really inclusive and I would say decent plan for uh, cannabis retail. So, well, a broken clock can be right twice a day. So it's Doug Ford got that one right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There's a lot of wrongs he's done, but I do truly believe that Ontario has done it the best and rolled out legalization the best. But each province and then the Maritimes is fully different because there is a combination of like public and private sale over there and it's a mess and it's the stores. Some of them are really terrible, the the public ones. Now we're sort of at the stage uh, a couple of years in where, you know, of course, at first there's a lot of frothiness and everybody was trying to get into retail and get up, get licensed. Um, and now we're a few years in and there's a lot of burden that comes with being in the cannabis industry at this point, because a lot of rules are uh, still very restrictive and prohibitive, and it makes it really difficult to do business uh, in the cannabis industry generally. So it's been a lot of success for the government because <laughs> they can claim that it's success and they've been very profitable. But when I'm not the executive director at Normal Canada, I'm a cannabis retailer. I own a couple of stores in Ontario. So I, and, and retailers, quite frankly, are in the best position. It's the growers and especially the small growers that are feeling the hurt the most. But the provinces are doing great. They're making the most money. So... <laughs> 
but yeah, so there's a lot of things that we need to work on uh, to make it a viable success because we're a few years in and there's a lot of consolidation happening. And we're going to probably continue to see that probably until the end of 25. There's a lot there to talk about. And I'm really glad that you kind of led in with that summary because we're going to go down the path of, you know, how Ontario did it, the OCS. We're going to talk about your experience as a store owner and then also your experiences in normal. So there's, that's a really nice lead into where we're going to go with this conversation. But I guess before we get to those points, I want to know why it is you care about cannabis so much. You know, what's your personal relationship with cannabis? How did you come to, you know, be advocating for this, to be working in this, to, to love this so much? Well, cannabis is what brought me and my husband together. So our business and being in the industry and all of the experiences we've been able to have from our little store in Kingston, Ontario, like we've traveled the world because of this store and the industry generally. So we're, I think being involved pre-legalization and doing it when there was, I mean, we were doing it, at, we were selling seeds at a time where, you know, child molesters would go to jail for a shorter period of time than growers. You know, so um, because the, the the prime minister before our current prime minister that legalized was like a tough on crime conservative, and uh, he introduced a lot of really harmful bills, most of which have been repealed, but famously the omnibus crime bill where there was mandatory minimums. It was just ridiculous. It was completely unconstitutional, but. Anyhow, we, so as Canada always does, you don't, you know, vote new people and you vote people out. So people were getting sick of that. And I think legalization came at just the right time. But for us, you know, doing it in those sort of risky days for the first formative years, it really exposed us to a lot, to patient advocacy, to being involved in different, you know, protests and seeing how it's progressing over the world, but mostly as somebody who was otherwise, you know, a, a rule follower, cannabis to me is the perfect example of government abuse and how the legal system can change things for the better. And historically, you know, we need to make up for the wrongs at this point and also a matter of harm reduction because once once the toothpaste is out of the tube it gets kind of hard not to say well <laughs> how about our mushrooms <laughs> yeah how about our, you know i i don't like using logical fallacies but it's sort of a slippery slope in a good way because you know you've got psychedelics that have been proven to help especially with depression and other things like that so it's just a matter of time before you know prohibition generally is looked at more seriously and in bc they were really great about sort of leading the charge on that um, and of course it's not like a silver bullet but i think what has been done up to this point uh has been wrong i think it's cost a lot of lives and it, yeah, it all starts with cannabis. Uh, are you able to paint a bit of a picture for what the East Coast legacy market was like? You know, I got to experience uh, BC post-federal legalization and, and the way it pretty much removed the legacy market and destroyed the legacy market and didn't factor in the people that had come from it. So what was the experience like, uh, you know, over East in Canada prior to federal legalization? Well, you know... In that sort of limbo period, me and my husband were trying to pivot, 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 because 
we knew we wouldn't be able to compete with the government in selling bongs next door to them, which was our best bet. So it was, it was really chaotic. And then even once Doug Ford was elected and everything was going through, of course, COVID happens, but also they, they had a lottery and the lottery was a total joke and a complete mess. And, you know, a lot of people hacked that system. So there was more chaos. So it's, even at post-legalization, while the dust settles, there's been a huge uphill battle while everybody finds their place and fights for their place, more importantly. Can you tell us a little bit more about that lottery? Because um, as you mentioned, yeah. every province did things quite differently. You know, I've had Jesse Lavoie from Toba Grown on the show to explain how Manitoba did things very differently. I've had a bunch of people from the West Coast of Canada. How did that lottery system work? Because I, I do remember that as we were operating in tandem over in BC, we just kept hearing how hard it was to get a license, how hard it was to get your store open. You're paying rent, you're paying licenses, or you're paying certain fees, but you still can't get in the door. Yeah. So we knew as soon as Doug Ford got elected that there would be a selection process of something to begin with. So we started building our second store, our new store right away. That would just be for kids. We got the advice because we had previously had the raid. We got the advice to create a whole new brand just for legal cannabis. So we had a whole second store away from our main store. And honestly, it was a better location anyways. And we had to carry that lease for basically two years before we were able to legally apply. And I mean, it was done. <laughs> we had higher security requirements than even the province required. And we were ready to go like to their standards for two full years. And we were already operating as soon as legalization was announced, we were already operating with clean noses. We were, you know, we had to really get some redemption. Ultimately we were pardoned for the raid that we were involved in. So we don't even have criminal records now. Even the police who arrested us gave us recommendations to, to get our licensing. So like <laughs> we were ready. That's <laughs> they were wild. really sweet guys and just operating like because allegedly we imported seeds from Europe. So we got arrested, <laughs> but it was only like, I can't pretend like some of the other activists have spent way more time in jail than we did. We were only in there for a few hours and they let us out by dinner. <laughs> but anyway, so the lottery was, uh, the lottery was crazy. The first time, uh, I think there was like 50,000 entries or something like that. I can't remember. Uh, we were number 652, which meant 651 people had to blow it in order for us. But even, even still, in order to enter the lottery, like they said, only, you know, like people, like it wasn't clear enough to know how the rules could be game. So we thought we were only allowed to have one entry. There were a couple of groups who completely just like stuffed the ballot box and got like 25, like had several stores in the lottery process, which was crazy to see and like infuriating to see as somebody who has been ready to go and like you know we're using our headshot money to fund this we're not a huge corporation it was really infuriating and so finally and like the first week of January in 2020 I think it was like January 5th 2020 uh, well, there was a second lottery before that, and we landed even lower on the list. But again, the same groups stuffed the ballot box, played the system, you know, and, uh, you know, won a crazy amount of ballots. 
So, okay, great. Like, great. <laughs> Perfect. And not only that, you have to remember that during this time, well, we're like, we had an election, so it's fine. It makes sense that there was time. They were sort of like lying about why they kept wanting to do the lotteries because they thought there was a supply issue. But really, I think that there was an issue setting up the provincial wholesaler, um, the OCS. I think that I, if I'm not mistaken, they had an issue getting banking as the government agency. Yeah, that seems to be a common thread. The the big banks don't want to bank with cannabis. Period. Not even not even if it's a crown corporation. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Like that's crazy. Um, so I think that there was some real issue, like logistical issues that needed to be worked out. And so they were buying time. So finally, in January uh, 2020, we were able to submit our application. And I had like... I submitted it at like 12.00.01 a.m. Like I hit submit. I was ready to go. And within like two weeks, they were like, okay, we're ready to look at your license. It was amazing. And like that feeling, that achievement, that was like real triumphant. But then because of who we were, we had, I mean, we had to go through some pretty like serious OPP interviews. Um, just to see if we would be honest people, I guess. That was a little much. And really, we have to, if you think about the the lottery time when there were stores running, like they were making a lot of money, but I think they were really poorly supplied and they, I don't necessarily think it's the best to be the first at the table. I think it's the best to be the best at the table. So I think they bore the brunt and licensed producers. Everybody in early legalization bore the brunt of having to figure out the kinks. I worked for the sixth store open in Vancouver and we navigated the usual kind of like, oh, this bud sucks, this fuck this Trudeau weed, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, within six days. But you can't even months, know. How can you know? Exactly, you know? exactly. And that's really difficult to give customers a quality experience when you don't know what's coming through the door. Yeah. And also like from a licensed producer perspective, they're beholden to whatever the standards of some random people working for the government are, you know, like as far as their production goes and you know, and it's the same issue with, with like public liquor, you know, like with the LCBO, because there's some really special wineries in BC that I just can't get in Ontario. Like we're in the same country. How is it that I can get something from literally New Zealand? No problem. But I have an issue getting it from like Kelowna. It's an interesting ownership model. And just for the Australian listeners in particular, you know, I'll explain what was going on in BC. And that was the BC Liquor Distribution Board would have all the cannabis on hand in their big poorly air-conditioned warehouse. And when they decided, they would then ship it out to the stores. And so they had a monopoly on wholesale and on retail. So I understand the OCS operates in a similar way. So talk to us a little bit about that OCS monopoly or that heavy hand of the OCS. Well... I don't want to bite the hand that feeds me because I will, <laughs> I will be honest that their current CEO, uh, David Lobo, love him. Like he's, he's a real straight shooter, really personable dude. He's the right person for that job. Um, and a lot of the, the company, they've made a lot of progress, but like as somebody who's done wholesale distribution in the past, the biggest ish, and also as a truck driver's daughter, <laughs> I will say the biggest issue that wholesalers 
have to realize is that they're not in uh, necessarily only the product business, they're in the logistics business. And the logistic issues at the very beginning were crazy. Like we would receive, <laughs> I think the earliest I had to be at the store was 4 a.m. to receive you know, like with guys with guns. Yeah. Yeah. They turn up in the bulletproof vest and have guns. It was wild, wasn't it? <laughs> like I received today and it's like a pre Oh, and it was one, one boxes, one by one. They yeah. would be there for like, cause, and you know, you have to count them all. Right. So, you know, one by one, I've caught like 450 boxes, something like that, because like all the boxes are like little cases this is even before edibles like were available on the market. So it was, as soon as edibles came, the boxes for those are like tiny. So I made one request. I'm like, can you just like, even if you're charging me like a little bit more, you will make up for the cost of a box with all the stuff in it. <laughs> you will make up a thousand times over in the efficiency because we can get it unloaded in under five minutes as opposed to an hour. It was crazy, like, wasn't it? And has that changed for you? Like, have you seen those changes come through? So now a great example, like we got a, a call a half an hour before the car. Well, usually we should get a call a half an hour before the order is going to get there. And uh, we have an order window, which is at least like within normal business hours. <laughs> like I'm not like, and we were getting deliveries on Fridays too. So if I'm getting there for 4am and I'm there until 9pm, like my first couple of years in operation was also like, it was 2020, like June, 2020 is when we opened. So it was like peak COVID so like there was a lot of like pivoting and changing that we had to do during that process. And to be fair, the OCS had to pivot and change that way as well. Like I understand that, but you know, now things come in a box, <laughs> like, like, to, like something so small, like, yeah. So they're definitely receptive of feedback. You know, the OCS got ripped pretty hard at the very beginning because of how stupid their logo is. And they paid like $660,000. Oh, man. Like, you know what? I would have given them such a good deal. <laughs> logo. Yeah, I've got a Canva account. I could have done this for 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, it's so simple. It's a circle and the OCS, 660000 Wow, that's, that's so frustrating. <laughs> that contract. We're in the wrong business, clearly. We should be in graphic design. Yeah, I, well, I like that. I, I like nice things, certainly, and I can, anyhow. So, um, but by 2021, we were named the number one retailer in our region, which is everywhere in Ontario, east of Toronto and like south of the northern region. So, right, yeah, and we've managed to like maintain a really high status. We opened up a second store. It's It's going great. And, you know, everything gets better with time. Like there it's everything. They start to realize like, okay, we are spending a lot of money on stupid things and, you know, maybe this would be more efficient, but you have to start somewhere. So I would say the OCS has, you know, at the beginning I would have given them and including the selection was terrible. Like 
I'm sure you guys saw, I mean, I've been to BC post legalization. I've seen what's available and it's basically the same stuff. So it's like, you know, that's, that's a thing. And of course, only like large producers were able to supply, but now as health Canada legislation sort of makes things more accessible and more normal for licensed producers, the same thing's happening, at least in Ontario, like they're super receptive of feedback. And I like they are people and they're trying their best. <laughs> That's promising to hear because I do think like I remember my early days as a bud tender dealing with some of the, you know, the angriest positions from the angriest people who, you know, might never be pleased. But something that is important to remember is this takes a significant amount of time. I mean, your your work with cell phones is proof of that. Like how long did it take for us to go from a wired phone to an iPhone that actually works? You know, we're talking a, you know, a proper century here and we're, we're going to need similar time for cannabis to work out. But it's great that you have that optimism. Yeah, I mean, even the product selection, the product selection has, is bomb. Like we've had, it's, it's gone. I mean, I think it's, you know, what's that quote? You have to like appreciate the sour, like, yeah, yeah. The, to appreciate the sweet, you know yeah, what I yeah, mean? Definitely. Like we've seen, we've seen some bad weed. Don't get me For wrong. Sure. And there's different stuff at different price points and there's still bad weed out there, but there's some really good weed out there too. And so it's like. You know, especially once you start to travel outside of Canada and you see what other places have weed available, Las Vegas, California. I haven't been to New York post-legalization yet, but it'll be going. I just, I'm not crazy about going to the U.S. <laughs> I'm yeah, sure you understand. A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Having uh, traveled through the U.S. during a, a Trump uh, government shutdown, I definitely understand your hesitation there. <laughs> the main thing is that Canada's weed and selection and quality has, it's among the best in the world. Like at least if you were just walking off the street into any store, it's great. And the thing is having a central agency that makes equal access for everybody is really important. So that's why having the OCS is a pro. And I think we need to modify it a little bit to also allow small producers to like, yes, that's a central agency, but outside of that, you can also have a private sale somehow. That would be ideal. Yeah. Well, they're doing that in BC with the farm to table experience exactly. where small producers can now sell directly to a store. And, you know, I, I know even Toba Grown are doing this in Manitoba and they can get products to stores within, a you know, 48 hours or something like that. So it's it, it increases the freshness, it increases the quality, it broadens the product selection. Even as a business owner, like I worked for a liquor store before I started working in cannabis and the relationships you build with certain suppliers means that you might get some exclusive things to you. So like you said, there's very similar products across the country, but it's when you get those little special ones, those small batch ones that it gets even more exciting. Well, exactly. And it's like the other, the other sort of issue with the, with the way the le like legislation is, is that like, you know, the big corporations and the small corporations both have access to the same stuff, yes, but not everybody is participating in a kickback scheme, which is a whole other thing because we're not allowed to. However, you know, I have zero tolerance for risk generally. I sleep so much better at night when I'm not worried about the police coming. <laughs> yeah, I think we're kindred um, spirits in that. I'm I'm so risk averse. I'm so scared of authorities. So I think, yeah, it's a good way to be. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. So like, you know, there's not very many layers between 
the guilty party in me if something goes wrong. Like I don't, it's everything's on our shoulders. So we try to keep our noses as clean as possible. And um, I think that some larger corporations feel more comfortable making deals with other large corporations to move quantity because there's also sort of, and I understand the need to move product that way, but I feel like there deserves to be some sort of accountability for that somewhere. And, you know, because it makes it difficult for small operators to be able to like it's not exactly equal access. It's not exactly a level playing field. Business is business and we can win on other things. So that's fine. But if we were able to just openly make those types of deals, I would have no issue making those types of deals with licensed producers myself. You know, I think that's the that's the main challenge, I guess, at this point in legalization is that it is difficult to compete when people aren't following the rules as written. You obviously mentioned the success that your store Calyx and Trichomes has had in terms of being successful in the region. Tell us a little bit about the store. You know, what can the customers expect as they walk in? What's the experience that's unique to your two locations? Well, there was a strong trend of like Apple store stores, and we wanted to be a little bit more true to our roots. When we decided on the name Calyx and Trichomes, we wanted something because we didn't know what the naming, like what would be allowed provincially if they were like when we had to decide this stuff. So we went with Calyx and Trichomes because we thought that it was innocuous enough that it's just plant anatomy. And also on, you know, it's it's a pain to write in an email, but, and to like have to spell out the email all the time. <laughs> but, you know, if somebody's walking by, they're not going to clutch their pearls. And honestly, our we have such a good team. So basically... Um, we have a very graphic, we have murals that are, you know, we have 20 foot ceilings and 18 foot murals of like macro views of cannabis and bud shots. So you, the, the way that we wanted you to feel was that you were a ladybug on the plant. <laughs> That's really cute. Yeah. Which my husband rolls his eyes when I say that, but I'm like, okay, well, I designed it and that's what I wanted it to be. <laughs> well, he's not the executive director of Normal Canada, is he? <laughs> exactly. He's, and he loves that, I guess, for us. <laughs> um, but anyhow, when you walk in, we have, what we knew we needed right away was a place for fast-paced people and slow-paced people. Some people really want to look over the menu and some people want to be in and out. So we had like an express line for people who were um, just like picking up their online orders. And then we have like, we call it question island where there's somebody standing there to answer any of your questions. Like our sales approach is also like, we have a lot of like loyal customers from many years ago that still like that used to buy seeds from us and now buy some seeds from us but that's still not a great market in Canada but also they're buying weed from us in the off season anyways um and it's it's really like special and sweet to see so we we have a very friendly environment with a lot of our customers and Kingston's a small town anyways like everybody knows somebody And it's a very chatty place. And what we really like to have is like a friendly conversation that happens then in a weed purchase as opposed to like a super high pressure 
um, or a super technical sales environment. The thing about Kingston is there's a, an aging population here and they're not very comfortable with computer screens. And another thing that I learned um, because we had time to seethe and wait for our license, we had like two years to wait. What we did was look at other stores and see what we thought they were doing right or wrong. And uh, I thought that having samples in jars for us wasn't right because we have to buy all of the samples and they look really ratty and smell pretty crappy after yeah, like you get a few hours out of them before you've wasted exactly, 50 bucks putting something in exactly. that exactly yeah. so that's that's like a big one for us is that we just have like a really comprehensive menu that's like always like it's always accurate with like package dates and everything and our staff work really hard at keeping, you know, the website really accurate and really easy and clean to use. So that's another, I think it's just like, we really know our market and we're really comfortable here, which is why we've been so successful. But yeah, the vibe is just, it's, it's pretty fun and it's lighthearted. And I mean, we're, <laughs> we're living the dream and we're selling weed. <laughs> yeah. 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 Go government sanctioned drug dealers. It's a pretty good feeling, huh? You know, all of the like politics and little things that we need to fix aside, I'm happy to be a part of making those little changes because listen, we all know that in order to sell it to the super conservative people, there had to be like strong boundaries in place. And now that the sky hasn't fallen, certain things can start to loosen up a bit they can start you know and they already have like i say like the ocs has improved it's night and day from the first year lads there's still room for improvement but i would say like it's a pretty it's it's gotten way better like at first there wasn't even a website like we used to have to send excel files well i think that's a good lead into our deeper conversation about normal but before we get there i'm hoping you might be up for a short 60 second quiz called Hotbox. this is something i like to do regularly so there's a bit of pressure on this one it's a would you rather style question so i'll throw some options at you and you tell me which one you prefer does that sound all right thousand percent all right let's do this best thing about the cannabis industry the people worst thing about the cannabis industry people <laughs> indica sativa or hybrid i don't believe in any of those i think that at best case it's slang for growers but at worst case it's insidious marketing oh so. i love it i love it flower or edibles oh flower nanaimo bars or beaver tails nanaimo bars maple leafs or senators i'm not a hockey person but at least if I'm in Toronto, there's better restaurants. <laughs> Favorite place to consume? Literally anywhere. We're in Canada. <laughs> Favorite cannabis product on the market right now? Uh, black market jealousy. Oh, that sounds good. Best munchie snack? Uh, Reese's peanut butter cups. And finally, describe your perfect 420. Definitely on a beach. Definitely in a place where weed is legal. But like you said, it's Canada and it's legal everywhere. So it's pretty good to smoke everywhere, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's the best. It's that, like, if only for that. Speaking of, what are you toking on right now? What are you enjoying there? This is either, I, I don't know what I picked up. This is jealousy. <laughs> ah, very appropriate. Very appropriate. I brought home jealousy and upside down cake. Black Market's a great company from BC, actually. Really great guys. We did a tour of BC uh, over the summer with a couple of our senior leaders just to see the facilities where we, and we saw like a, a huge one. We saw some micros 
And honestly, the black market tour was the last one and I was exhausted by then, but it was unreal. It's one of the most expensive brands on the market, but it's one of those things that's like, it's worth it. hundred <laughs> percent. We're actually really lucky to have a couple of black markets products over here on our medical market. Nice. They're rebranded as the brand Cultivar. And so they're on our medical okay. market here and we've had Baccio Gelato, Leanne Womack and a few others. And listeners from Australia here will be very familiar with the high quality, you know, the terpene, the aromas, all that that come with those products. And we're pretty lucky. It's only about 15 bucks a gram here. So given that it's pretty expensive over in Canada, it's been shipped over here. It's relatively fresh. We're doing all right. Yeah. We sell like a pre-roll for fifteen seventy-five. Yep. So like Canadian, I don't know if the, it's like comparable, right? Yeah, the, ex like, the exchange rate's pretty much, much, you know, 90 cents to the dollar kind of thing. So I always just kind of consider it to be the same. Yeah, yeah. We have quite a lot of Canadian cannabis on our medical market here, some better than others, but um, yeah, that is one of the better ones. So glad that we've got that little connection there. Yeah. So let's now talk about your work with Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Can you first tell us a little bit of the history of Normal in Canada? Yeah, so Normal was established in 1978, just a couple years after the U.S. one uh, was established. And um, it's basically carried forward to now today. Well, we're just over 40 years. I'm bad at math, but I went to community college, so <laughs> math is not my strong We're coming up on, on 44 years this year. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, Oh God, I'm bad at math too. I'm a school teacher. It is 40. It's coming up on 46 years. Hey, cut, cut with stoners. <laughs> I don't have an excuse though. I haven't consumed today. Maybe that's my problem. It's getting old. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, in the same way that, uh, Canada, normal Canada operates as a chapter for the whole country, whereas there's probably hundreds of chapters in the U S and many more around the world as well. Um, so we are for the whole country, even though we don't really have representation in every province, unfortunately, we do have a few across the country though. And basically we've been fighting for legalization. And then now that we won that and, and normal had a, a heavy hand in, in help and advising on that, we're at the point where we need to tweak the rules a little bit to be more common sense and more practical and just sort of remove red tape from that doesn't serve anyone at all. And there's no, I mean, who I'm sure it was made with the best of intentions, but it's time to, <laughs> it's time to tweak it a little bit. Oh, there's still work to be done. Yeah. 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 There's definitely, I mean, province to province, that's a little bit different in how the stores operate and the politics there, the OCS, for example, that's all a little bit uh, separate. But federally, there's, um, you know, a few things that have a sort of umbrella for everybody that just sort of need to be revisited. Like excise tax is a big one. I don't know if you guys have concentrates there. Uh, we've just had a couple hit our medical market. So it's a very early days. There's some Temple balls, some diamonds, very, very limited in that product section of the market, but we're getting there. But so are we, you know, and the reason why is because there's an exorbitant excise tax put on the production of cannabis. It's not math that makes sense anymore. The math was based on cannabis being double the price that it is now. So now that we're, we sort of just need to adjust down because it's, it's killing really high quality producers because they're 
not able to pay their tax bills and have to go out of business, unfortunately. And so that needs to be revisited so that we can especially keep high quality small producers in business and support, especially post COVID where this is another sort of layer to it. There were government loans that were given to a lot of these. I mean, we had a government loan, lots of small businesses across the country got these government loans that all just had to be paid back last week. So it's, everybody's really hurting like with different layers because, you know, banking's an issue because of, uh, I think, mostly foreign trade and issues with that, because it's not federally legal everywhere. Um, but that's stupid. <laughs> so I mean, essentially, we're looking at basically the banks are scared that they're going to annoy the Americans, aren't they? Like that by taking on cannabis money that the US banks are going to be offended and upset and other international organizations. And it's like, you're leading the way here on legalization. Why not lead the way exactly. on banking too? Yeah. So there's a few things there that sort of normal now needs to work on specifically just sort of pointing out those things. And, and, you know, I will be honest, we've done health Canada consultations as a group. I've been working with MPs on various projects to just push the right things along. And I will say we have like a group of super even the conservative ones, really responsive and like reasonable MPs working that want to improve things because I mean, they get it. They're not, you know, like we, it's, it's a fairly young caucus. So, I mean, there's, it's not, there's exceptions to that. Sure. But it's right now normal's job has sort of evolved from fighting for legalization to just finding the path of least resistance in the most middle ground that we can. And it's not just us. Like there's also like a paid lobbyist group that um, works on sort of specifically LP related stuff. And then there's various like provincial groups um, for different levels. Like there's people are starting to organize a lot more just because during COVID the cannabis file was really set aside because they were like, look, we just gave you what you wanted. Can we focus on the national health crisis? Take what you can get guys. Enjoy it. Leave us alone. Yeah, yeah. But now now they've sort of seen the absurdity of how, you know, it just, I mean, yeah, businesses shouldn't be closing at the rate they are in this new market. And yes, there are bad business operators. There are people who shouldn't own businesses or maybe chose the wrong location. But there's also like a lot of opportunity that gets lost because of just stupid rules that don't make sense. You know, like having cameras on your empty field of cannabis, but you have to pay for these crazy cameras, like even when it's not growing. And as a retailer, same thing, we have to also abide by the federal rules as well. Excuse me. A big one that we're working on at normal right now um, is the edibles limit. I think that it's just a bit, bit misguided. So like our edibles come like this. Yep. Like this is heavily packaged 10 milligram limit in, in the bag, which is great for a first time user. Like for me, even for me as a high tolerance smoker, love a 10 milligram edible. Don't need anything more, yeah. but lots of people do need more. A thousand percent. But even still, like there's cannabis carry limits and the, the edible limit being like 
10 milligrams per bag. Like, why not? Like, why are we going through this much packaging for two gummies? Yeah, it's wild, isn't it? It's so much unrecyclable packaging for two gummies. These are sort of the little things that are going to put people out of business because why are we spending that much on packaging for two gummies? Yeah. You know what happens if you are an adult and you know your limits to gummies? Guess what will happen after you'll just close the bag and come back later. Yeah. Like, it's not like you're going to like gummy yourself to death. And conversely, (laughs) people that want higher limit gummies aren't just going to go, oh, well, the government won't let me, so I'll never have them again. They're going to find a black market or, you know, an off market source. Well, exactly. This is just helping the black market flourish. Yeah. 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 Well, exactly. You know, the, the biggest goals with legalization in Canada were to keep it out of the hands of kids, no problem, or keep it out of the hands of people that shouldn't have it for whatever reason, whatever, no problem. And to also eliminate the unregulated market. And I mean, eliminate, my point is like, like us who operated pre-legalization, you the way to eliminate an unregulated market is to include it as much as you can. And this is what Canadians want. Like, not everybody is like me. Like, I could have, like, obviously two packs of gummies and be very chatty. But five packs of gummies, I'm sleeping. Yeah. Like, I've I've had enough, you know, but I'm not. That's it. That's the worst part of it. So (laughs) that that is the thing. Sometimes the worst thing that can happen is that you go to bed. Exactly. So, like, kids need to, like, you know, are they afraid that having one jar of gummies versus having 10 packs that are this big in your cupboard like what's what's more dangerous for a kid like if he can open one he can open up 10 exactly you know so we actually have a petition now and we're at like 28 or 2900 signatures um and it goes until march it only needed 500 to get presented. So it's going to be presented in the House of Commons um, to lift that to, yes, 10 milligram servings, which it was always meant, like, I agree, 10 milligrams is a fair serving and like five milligrams is half a serving, yeah. you know, like that's fine, but more servings per pack. Yeah, like, well, especially having worked at a liquor store in Vancouver and, you know, someone could roll up and spend 5000 bucks on whatever booze they want for a massive party, yet someone walks into a cannabis store and they can get the equivalent of 30 grams per day and, you know, I think five or six packets of gummies count as that 30 grams per day. So, you know, people were able to buy five infused drinks, whereas, again, you go to the liquor store, get what you want. So I think this is really the case in point I want my Australian listeners to understand is five years into legalization in Canada, there are still things worth fighting for. There's a lot to celebrate, and you have... I think you present a really good balance there where you're proud of what you've got and you're grateful for the changes that are made, but you know there are still areas for improvement in packaging, in edible limits. And this edible um, petition you've got going, I've, you know, the name has eluded me, but it's it's sponsored by a member of parliament, isn't it? You know, they're, they're really helping you b- build this profile. Yes, yes. So we have something called the Cannabis Caucus and it is two liberals, one NDP and one conservative. Right. Um, so there's a fair view from everybody about what needs to go forward. And luckily they're very like understanding of what we're trying to do. Like it's it's sort of in the packaging alone, we could just save a little bit there. Like that is an environmental thing. It's just like nobody's died, (laughs) you know, like 
if I want to buy, because it's it's yes, it's at thirty grams, but you can go and come back. Yes. So yeah, you can go to a different store. No one's actually checking this. Nobody. I mean, you, you run the risk of being pulled over, but if you go home with your thirty grams and then go out to another store, like it's really a weird sort of dumb rule. But the gummy rule is, I think it's fair and it's like common sense. Like just let adults have however much they want, and then we hope to do the same thing with the excise tax stuff next. Is um, because this is sort of a, a do or die situation. We felt like the edibles were sort of low hanging fruit because I just had a feeling that there was a lot more sort of receptive to going forward, especially as the edibles have become a really preferred way to use cannabis because it's not smoking, it's discreet, people use a lot less, it's being processed differently. So I've had to kind of come around to the prevalence of edibles in that regard because I, you know, I prefer inhalation as my main way of consuming, but uh, edibles is definitely something that's coming up as a great way for people to tiptoe into cannabis. We just had, I think about 7,000 people surveyed in Australia about federal legalization and the majority of those surveyed prefer edible consumption. So I've really had to readjust my beliefs and my thoughts about this because I, I do think it is a great way for people to to enter enter the market. You know, I've got friends of mine who wouldn't touch a joint with a 10-foot pole. They're like, oh, those gummies look pretty delicious. A fun fact is we're actually the number one drink seller in the country, or at least we were at some point. And so like we sell a lot of drinks because this is another sort of like adults approachable way. Like I've found myself to be like, I, I like to have a social cocktail, but as I'm getting a little bit older, I'm, I'm just like not into drinking as much. And there's drinks on the market that taste better than alcohol. And 100%. I still feel the same adult relaxed feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really loved going camping with a cooler full of mollos. You know, my friends are drinking real beers. I'm <laughs> drinking mollos. Who's got a hangover the next day? Not me. No, exactly. Exactly. There's, I mean, and there's some really good ones on like, that's a, that's a, that's, that's a funny one um, because that's for those who don't know, that's a beer. Yeah. That's a, a cannabis, but it tastes like beer. Um, but there's some really great fruity drinks. There's like some really good, there's, a, I mean, if you're okay with sugar, there's a really good root beer, but if you're not okay with sugar, there's really good seltzers and none of them, I mean, some of them taste skunky, but most of them don't taste like any distillate or anything too much at the very beginning in the experimental phase there were some really bad ones but and it's the same with edibles too like the quality of that like this is like a blue raspberry gummy like I'm an adult but I'll tell you adults love blue raspberry yes. there's no there's no it's crazy how much people love blue raspberry blue raspberry any anything like that Adults love. So it's the quality has gotten really, really good. So it's like a real shame if these companies can't stay in business because nobody wants just 10 milligrams at a time. This is like for the viability of the industry. There's a few public companies, but it's a lot of private small guys that just need a chance to uh, survive. And we're also like one of the only federally legal and definitely like at this point in the G7. So like we're really setting an example for how others can operate because 10 years in, we might be able to travel to 
somewhere in Europe, like other than, I mean, I love Amsterdam, don't get me wrong, but even their system is not perfect, you know? No, it's far from the model that we want to replicate it. And, and they're seeing it there, you know, like it's not something the locals enjoy. It's really just a tourist trap situation and it's not a rich exactly. culture of cannabis engagement like we see in Canada. So Canada definitely does provide a good model. And I think as we head towards the end of the show, it leads me really well into the last question, which is, what can the rest of the world learn from Canada's approach to legalization? You know, you've celebrated that there are some things being done right. And I think it's really important to focus on that and not just go, oh, it's all terrible. We need to fix these eight things. There's some really good stuff there. So what could we learn from some of the successes? And I mean, what's something we could even just straight away not do to avoid, you know, the kind of five-year fight that you're already involved in? Um, have the supply chain ready before you start um, retail and support the businesses that are the early adopters, but also support the businesses the whole way through. Like if this is a real financial thing that countries want to be able to benefit from, if you want better roads, better healthcare, better whatever, and there's a real industry that is viable for you. I mean, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to uh, shy away. Like I would at least... <laughs> I would at least get to the point where Canada is um, in a lot of ways. But I also would say, look at other sort of mature states as well, like California, because if Canada had more Californian laws, it would be a lot easier to operate um, as a business and as an industry. And even if you don't want to see it as an industry, the thing is, is the industry will be there regardless. So accept that the black market or the unregulated market is going to exist as long as you don't include it properly. So find ways to clear that path for people who um, want to get into this industry, who have legitimate experience and before big money and investors. Um, New York did a great job uh, with, with that actually. So at our business, what we do is we guarantee interviews to anybody who has cannabis convictions or any drug convictions, because I think that experience is invaluable. And I think that that needs to be appreciated at a governmental level. I would also say that a big positive thing that you can take from Canada is that it's okay to trust small business owners with this big task because that is what is carrying the industry at this point. Now, as we get to the very end of the show, it's now time for a segment called Paul's of Wisdom. And while we value the long form conversation, we now try to leave the listener with one key takeaway, dinner party fact, or perhaps even a call to action. So Genoway, what is your Paul of Wisdom? I would say, well, that's a tough question. I would say that um, engaging with the public about what they want is the most important thing. Um, and to go with more evidence-based legislation versus sort of emotional legislation. I think if people in Australia can really approach this from a scientific point of view, Australia will be the, could be the leader in cannabis. Like you just need to build on what has already been established and also just look at other countries because it's not just Canada. There are some great things about every country, but what's great about this point is that 
you can see it with a lot of optimism and a lot of opportunity. That's outstanding. Evidence over emotion. I really, really like that. Well, I'm really appreciative of your time today. I think it's vital that we on the each side of the world know what's going down with cannabis so that we can learn from what's going on as we tiptoe towards legalization. I don't know when we're going to get there. Our medical field or our medical program is very accessible. It's a little bit cost prohibitive, but most people can find a way to get involved in medical cannabis here, which is really fantastic. Uh, it's clear there's no time for complacency and the fight always continues as you've proven today. So best of luck with the business and also your continued fight for reform with normal. Thank you. Given Tote Cannabis Conversations is written and produced by me, Paul. Music written and produced by Big Mike. Follow us on Instagram at GiveAndToke or get in touch by emailing giveandtoke at gmail.com. All opinions expressed by program guests are solely their current opinions and do not necessarily reflect the position of GiveAndToke. Content discussed in this show does not constitute medical advice. Cannabis is not legal everywhere, so please be aware of local laws. 